Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. Good evening, gentlemen. This is Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. I'm Greg Steeman, and I am on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And we also have a website you can go to for articles and, and other items, power rankings, things like that, reachingthesummitpodcast.com. So to start out this week, I wanted to talk about a stat that actually Brad Newitt brought up, or at least that's where I saw it first, and then just talk about the upcoming schedule after this week's games. The top four teams are combined 23-2, and two, and they don't play each other next week, and then that all the games between those four teams start to happen in the next four weeks after that, with at least two matchups between those four teams in some weeks, and then at least one in the in the other weeks. So we really have just an incredible finish to conference play. Does that? Do you guys think that will start to feel like a conference tournament type feel, just with those four teams matching up in those final four weeks? Well, I really want to know if they did it on purpose. Um, and if they like did, it yeah, it feels like it's on purpose. And if they did, bravo, because I think it was a yeah. good idea. I mean, why not? It's it's kind of fun to see it sort of building like this right into the conference tournament. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a great idea. You know, would the coaches say the same thing? You know, I don't know. But uh, it's sure going to be fun for fans. It's going to de- decide a lot. It's going to probably decide the conference player of the year. And um, so I'm really looking forward to it. In addition to that, you know, there's also the bottom here where things are not decided. And it's not decided who's going to be a part of the conference tournament or not. So, you know, you kind of have opposite ends of the spectrum. But games still being incredibly important for everybody. Uh, the most important games of the year. Yeah, it's it's intriguing without question, and and I, you know, you don't know. I I doubt it was on purpose. I think it was probably more so the luck of the draw. And and the only reason I say that is because USD is the one where you go, they lost so much, even though they had a Mude back. I don't think anybody really realized what Plitzwhite would do, but they lost so doggone much experience and talent from last year. So their early season performance, and and I think the other thing if we're going to find out is who is who's real. And, and who's built a resume on, on the bottom half of the league, you know? And and uh, I think it's going to be interesting, as you mentioned, Zach, you know, when you talk about the bottom half of the league, they all get to play each other towards the end of the season. Who's going to rise to the top of that? And who who maybe finds a way to, to sneak into the four spot? You know, not that there's any difference between the four and the five when it comes to the conference tournament, but, you know, Canada, North Dakota, who is the only team that's beaten, uh, you know, any of these top four teams to this point, they've got both of the, both of the combined losses against the top four. Um, do they continue to develop and, and grow as a team? So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it all play out. No question about it. It should be a, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be a great lead up to the conference tournament as you were alluding to Todd. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with South Dakota, it's interesting. They're, they're technically sitting at the top of the, uh, the standings right now. Uh, but they played the bottom three teams and, and the bottom three teams as projected to come as projected coming into this year, I should say. Um, so, but that's nothing to take away from them. I mean, they've clearly been improving too. So, um, you know, nothing to get too carried away from, but it's just sort of like building my enthusiasm for the, the end of this, uh, the end of this conference season. It's, it's just going to be so much fun. Well, and Greg several episodes ago when we were talking, um, 
tournaments and different things that conferences could do. You brought up that conference that reseed or re, does the end of the season schedule with the top teams playing each other. And I wonder if this goes really well, if that's something to even look at a little bit and, and remake the schedule for those last few weeks for the top teams to play each other going into the tournament. Uh, I think it's the Sun Belt that does that uh, currently, but just another interesting thing to look at to see if that would turn into something in the future. I agree. Certainly something to consider. And I, and I think mid-major leagues, if they want to become multi-bid leagues, have to do some creative and, and uh, you know, innovative things to give their top teams who have kind of separated themselves uh, that extra boost right at the end of the regular, regular season. So we'll see how it happens. This year just happens to work out this way. And I just think it piques everybody's interest at the right time. Hey, but guys, how nice are these Friday and Saturday games? I mean, it's so much nicer than last year where it was just sort of chaos and games are all over the place. I mean, even if you did want to sneak in a non-conference game in the middle of the conference season, you could do that if you wanted to. Uh, mapping out your, your basically your off week and, and, and your schedule around that. You know, I just I, I'm such a big believer in this in getting rhythm to the schedule on this Friday, Saturday or in some cases, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, maybe it's one game at each location or, or maybe it's just back to back like it was this year. I mean, I don't know. I, I think this this has been pretty intriguing this year. I, I don't know. I, I just hope we just take the good from from this year that, that we've learned and, and just sort of build on that with the schedule going into next year. Um, and, well, and, and then obviously with St. Thomas being 10 would be sort of the catalyst for that. Yeah, I'm sure they'll go to a Thursday, Saturday, um, you know, travel partner type schedule where, mm-hmm. you know, they're and, and where teams are, are home both games on Thursdays and Saturdays and, and you have travel partners. I, and but but that goes back to what you said. You're going to have continuity. I think it's going to help attendance. And uh, it's everybody's been begging to just get to that that 10 team league. And so uh, it'll be refreshing to get there next season. Well, and I, I like the idea, Zach, just even for, like you said, for travel purposes, or if you wanted to go uh, visit different parts of the Summit League just for something fun to do, you know mm-hmm. when it's going to happen. You can plan ahead of time. For me personally, that's the whole reason I kind of started doing this was just something to do with my kids. So much easier for, I mean, I'm sure that's why they do the schedule is to uh, placate me, but uh, it just a nice way to know I can go to this region. We're going to catch two games in two different places. Like what a fun way for, to, to build the league, to start to get to know the different areas, things like that as well. Well, not to mention it's going to save money. I mean, we can't forget that, you know, you know, coming off this year, it's going to be a 10 year situation for a lot of these programs, maybe having to carry extra scholarships, things like that. So, you know, it's going to have to be a part of the conversation uh, in terms of budgetary uh, constraints. All right. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on that. I just wanted to to kind of preview that we are looking for quite the schedule going forward. We did have four matchups this week, so I didn't want to spend a ton of time on that. I wanted to start with North Dakota State and and Denver, just because, Greg, you were there for, for last night's game. And start out by talking just about Rocky Cruiser, and then you guys can, can kind of go into whatever you saw and, and what you liked out of that. He's definitely shown to be North Dakota State's best players. When I put together a mid-season first and second summit league team, his numbers weren't necessarily as high as other players, but I put him on the first team because whether they're the first or second best team in the league, 
he's their best player. And I think, and does so many things that don't show up in the stat sheet. So I wanted to recognize him 21 points and 10 rebounds in game one, and then a good game in game two as well. Um, What did you guys take away from that series? Well, Todd, I agree with you. I I think Rocky Cruisers is, you know, going to be in the conversation, you know, for player of the year. I'm not saying he is, but you know, what he's doing night in, night out. I think he's got, you know, either four or five double doubles in his last six games. And, and um, I've continued to watch him develop and improve, you know, every year throughout the course of his career. And he's still got a year left, you know, should he choose to come back? And, and I think he will, um, continues to develop as a, as a, as a, actually a very effective and, um, post defender, which, you know, complements his, his versatility on the offensive end. He's, he's a, He's a tough matchup now. I mean, I talked to somebody earlier this week, and I said you can you can refer to him as a poor man's Mike Dom, and just because he has the ability to to shoot it from the perimeter, um, he puts it on the floor, gets to the rim, he can play with his back to the basket, and when he does get to the free throw line, he shoots over eighty percent. I mean, the, the kid is really a well-rounded player, and his I think you give him a lot of credit because he has developed and continued to improve. He's never settled for who he was and has added certain aspects to his game throughout the course of his career. So very impressed with, with what Rocky's doing, and he's surrounded by a lot of length as well, a lot of length and versatility on that NDSU team. But right now he's the guy that I think is, is playing as well as anybody in the league, to be quite honest. One player I'd like to kind of point out, um, and I believe the Bison Report tweeted this out. Uh, so, you know, the list of players in the NCAA that are shooting 55% from the field, uh, 50% from the three-point line, and then 75% from the three-point arc, or 75% from the free-throw line, 50% from the three-point arc, uh, while averaging 30 minutes a game, is uh, the list is Tyree Eady, and that's it. And so that's not taken into account the fact that he usually takes the hardest defensive assignment out there. That's not taken into account the fact that he basically uh, keeps everybody in line out there. He's probably the, the key communicator while he's out there. And so, you know, you're starting to develop some of these players on the Bison team that are very impressive basketball players. I mean, the way that they develop their players there is really probably second to none. Probably second to none. Uh, I don't know that I put anybody ahead of them at this point. Maybe maybe a couple teams equal with them, but, you know, just – just really impressed with what they're doing, um, you know, and, and they, they handled their business this weekend. You know, they took care of Denver. Um, Denver made a little push Friday night. Saturday night didn't really challenge them at all, and that's the way that you would expect them to come out and play against really an inferior opponent really at this time. So uh, just uh, I didn't want to get too far in the weeds on that, but, you know, just really impressive the way they handled their business. Yeah, I'll just follow it up quick. I, I'll, I'll agree. Edie. Um, Edie and Cruiser and, and Greasel, the, these three guys are very experienced. I know NDSU has some young players they count on, but when you have that core and then their their versatility, I mean, they can all uh, guard multiple positions and, and uh, Edie's consistency night in, night out is ridiculous, to be honest with you. It's just uh, um, one of the reasons NDSU is one of the most consistent teams in the league and one of the, reason they, one of the reasons they, they improve throughout the course of the season and I'm excited to watch some of these freshmen go, uh, continue to develop their game. And at the same time, they did it this last weekend without Malik Harden-Hayes, young man who was out with an 
what they're calling an upper body injury. And, and I don't think it, it doesn't look like it's anything overly serious. I hope he can get back because I think, you know, Harden Hayes brings a lot to the floor from North Dakota state. You know, he shoots from behind the arc. Um, uh, just is, is a, is a heck of a competitor on the glass um, average and double digits, you know, for him. And, and then Bowden Scunberg, who's, you know, uh, 12, 15, 17 minutes a game and capable perimeter shooter. North Dakota State's not the deepest team in the league. I mean, they've got good depth, but uh, when you take two guys out of that normal rotation, um, it, it, you know, it, it could impact them, but I thought they overcame that pretty well. And it could have been in part because of who they were playing in Denver. And, uh, but at the same time, a couple of guys, you know, stepped up with Odell Wilson and, and Jackson Notech got some extended playing time and I thought they took advantage of it. So, uh, no, um, just uh, kind of an overview, and I thought they were dominant against Denver on Saturday and and did what they needed to do on Friday. One other quick thing I want to point out, just Donald Carter got back on the floor this weekend, and, um, you know, not, not 100% sure where that's going to go, um, but just happy that he's back on the floor. You know, obviously he's been through a lot with injuries and this and that, and, you know, I guess if you wanted to sort of manufacture a concern about NDSU not that it's probably a real concern at this point but you know just maybe the lack of like a true natural point guard um you know maybe Donald Carter can fit, fill that but at the same time I mean I have a hard time taking the ball out of Sam Greasel's hands now so I mean he's really gotten to the point where he's a very effective point guard if maybe not a natural one uh all that really matters is I guess his effect on the game and so he's fine there well, and I just wanted to mention a couple times when I've asked for questions on the fan boards, uh, Jackson Notech has come up. Why did he fall out of the rotation? That kind of thing. I didn't bring it up on the podcast because it felt like it was just one of those. The rotation got shortened and, you know, he was just on the outside looking in. But another one of those examples of just be ready for your opportunity because he came in and played really quite well when he got an opportunity. And, and you never know when your time is going to come. Yeah, I think you can look at pretty much any team out there and look at, you know, okay, from time to time, yeah, the, the rotation does shorten, but how many teams are able to play that short rotation without any disruptions all year long? You know, that's the one thing that you have to understand as a player when you're, when you may be the last one out of the rotation is that, hey, man, it's, it, you're going to get a chance again. You just have to stay ready. I mean, nothing's worse than when somebody pouts and then when they get their chance again, they can't take advantage of it. And that, that clearly was not the case uh, with no tech. It's just, he just might've been the odd man out and he, but you never know. I mean, the conference term could roll around and he could be right there again. You know, we hope Harden Hayes is back soon, but you never know. So uh, he stayed ready and that's the most important thing. So let's move on to the North Dakota, South Dakota state uh, series. I just wanted to start out with saying with Wilson back and Baylor Shireman continuing to do what he does, are, they're elite offensively. Is South Dakota State the best offensive team in the Summit? I think so. I think they're better than Oral Roberts um, because of their balance and because yeah. of, they, they just have like very clear roles. Like you know what these players are going to do going into the game, you know what the box score is going to look like. They're very predictable. Um, they don't do anything overly complicated. They just keep their, their players in position and they make plays. Uh, they move the ball by far the best out of any team in the conference, I think. Um, certainly, they move the ball a lot better than Oral Roberts. They probably move it a little bit better than, than NDSU as well. 
Um, and so, you know, then, then you have Douglas Wilson who can score 23 points and the ball is in his hands literally for probably about 30 seconds of game clock. You know, I mean, I can see why South Dakota State's able to have him come in and out of the lineup and not really miss a beat when he's in there. When he touches the ball, he's either scoring it or passing it immediately. He knows what he's doing as the ball is touching his hands. Well, I've always been, I've always been impressed with his efficiency. No, he's uh, he's he's extremely impressive. I agree with you, Zach. And I'm going to go back. I, you know, I, I suppose I make a lot a lot of stupid statements on Twitter, but you know, back in the early season where they're putting it on Utah State in the Bad Boy Moore Classic, and they were at full strength. I'm going, I, I don't know that this isn't the most complete team I've seen in the Summit League, you know, in my time doing games. When they're healthy, when their top five are all ready to go, and I referred to the perimeter group as the law firm, um, you know, Arians, Friedel, and Shireman, they're all so versatile, so skilled. And then you just throw the, 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 you know, Wilson and, and Dentling are in there. I mean, it's such a complete, well-rounded lineup and they're all capable of doing so much. Um, and, and the thing about South Dakota state is if they have to play at a lower possession game, they're fine because I think uh-huh. they execute so well in the half court. And if you want to get out and go up and down with them, they'll just say, okay, you know, this, you're going to do this at your peril here because we'll, if you want us to score 90 and beat you, by 30, we'll do that. If you want us to score 70 and beat you by 20, we'll do that too. Um, I, I do think they're extremely complete. The, the question is, can Wilson and Friedel stay on the floor for two separate reasons? I hope they do because I want to see them at full strength because they're an excellent team. And at the same time, then, you know, do the NDSUs and the Oral Roberts and the USDs continue to grow and does somebody, you know, from the bottom division as of now step up there and, and, and prove that they can compete with them on their best night. Uh, I'm excited because I, I don't think the separation between SDSU and some of the other top teams is, is great, but I do think SDSU is, is probably the best and most complete offensive team in the league right now, at least with their, with their first group. I think one thing that we were looking for was, okay, you know, quickly early in the season, they looked really good. And I was like, okay, that's, um, are they peaking too early? In what ways can they improve? You know, it's hard to maintain a high level of play. And went through this kind of patch where they didn't play a lot. And so I was just more or less curious. I, I certainly wasn't concerned. I was just curious. And, and obviously they came with that as, as about as well as they could have. Uh, they looked rested. They looked focused. They looked sharp. Checked all the boxes. And the biggest thing for me is Luke Apple. I, I love what he brings off the bench. I mean, you bring uh, just an ultra-aggressive, skilled big man off the bench to hammer away at most teams' backup posts. That's a recipe for success. And that is the way that they've got better in a way that they didn't necessarily have early in the year. I mean, like, if you wanted to nitpick and say, well, are you concerned about anything about South Dakota State? It may be. Yeah, I mean, you know, is, is Douglas Wilson going to be there every single time? You know, is Matt Dettlinger, can he carry the load if Douglas Wilson's out? Or, you know, is, is Matt Dettlinger going to produce enough? You know, I don't know. Um, but but Luke, Appel, Luke Apple really checks all those boxes. And then, and then you put shooters and then it's pick your poison. So 
you know, getting back to this game, the South Dakota State UND game, I thought it, it was interesting because honestly, I think UND played pretty well. I, I I thought they played pretty well, particularly on offense and defensively. I don't think they were that bad. They weren't necessarily blowing a lot of coverages or anything like that. I mean, South Dakota State was just making a lot of shots. I, you know, Arian Shireman, Friedel, Winget. I mean, I, I just. It, they're just good players. They're going to make plays. And so I think it became apparent to me that, you know, in order for South Dakota state to lose, they're probably going to not have their a game. If they have their a game, I probably feel pretty good about them versus the other teams in the conference, just because of their ability to shoot it and their ability to play inside out and their efficiency and the way they move their ball. You know, I probably trust them the most on, on offense, you know, um, and, and so, you know, defensively, it could always be a little better. But, you know, they, they, I think part of this is they're just going to play a high possession type of basketball, which isn't bad at all. You know, they're, they're very comfortable in that scenario. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It just it, it really, really impressed me this weekend because, like I said, I thought UND played well. And and for UND, you know, um, probably this is the, one of the first times that we had a fairly consistent effort. I know it didn't necessarily show on the box score, but the level of effort was fairly consistent from night to night. Um, but for me, it was just the, the improvement of Tyree and Acho. Um, that's a big, big development for UND. I mean, you know, if you're trying to establish your culture, if you're trying to build your roster, usually, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I, I would think that just rock star stud point guard is probably one of the toughest spots to fill. You know, you can find people that can shoot. You can find a, a 6'10 guy that, that can make a jump hook and get some rebounds, things like that. But really finding that that just stud point guard that can play defense, that is a good decision maker, that may be one of the hardest positions to fill. And as UND is trying to rebuild their roster, to know that they have that for, you know, for this year, then maybe four years after that, that's got to be a big relief. Uh, I've always wondered, you know, whenever I've talked to the UND coaching staff, I, I always say, like, what do you think would happen if Tyree – if you said, hey, Tyree, we need you to be so aggressive that you take 15 shots tonight. I wonder what happened, you know, um, because he makes good decisions. I think you can trust him being that aggressive. And it's like almost sometimes he doesn't. We've talked about this before, but it's like he almost sometimes doesn't realize how athletic he is. And then, you know, he takes one or two dribbles and he's past his primary defender. It's like, whoa, that was that was kind of easy, um, relatively speaking. And so he's, he's finally starting to realize that clearly South Dakota State was going under the ball screens and they were daring him to shoot. And this is the first time really this year he's been able to knock shots down. So um, that was my biggest takeaway from, from UND's weekend, you know. And in addition to that, obviously, the, the inconsistency with the supporting cast around Phillip and Tyree. Yeah, one of the things I think about with South Dakota State in general, and I'll make this quick, is it's, if there's a team in the summit where I wouldn't want to be a five seed or a four seed playing them in the tournament, it's that team. Because you could easily see them going on one of those shooting streaks that you see in the tournament that that uh, get them to at least one win. So that would be that's the one thing I always think about with that team. And then I can't disagree with you at all on Iannaccio. He Just his growth has been incredible. Yeah, you know, yeah. the thing about South Dakota State is it, it, their opponent doesn't have to play poorly for them to go on one of those runs. I think that's probably the biggest difference between them and everybody else in the conference. I mean, even Oral Roberts, 
you know, we saw, you know, for from time to time, definitely teams be able to guard them okay, you know. And if if this South Dakota State team, if, if they're moving the ball, there's not a lot any team that's been able to play them up to this point has been able to do about it. We'll see North Dakota State, obviously, they're, they're probably best suited to guard them. But, man, when South Dakota State gets it going, it is beautiful basketball. Yeah, and, and just quickly, on, on South Dakota State, I, I think, you know, the things that maybe we, we, we haven't talked about is they had that extended break over the Christmas break. They did have the weekend off when, when Omaha was dealing with COVID issues. I, I think probably ends up being a blessing in disguise for them because I think it allows them to get Wilson as healthy as possible. And and uh, and, and now they can kind of play the way they want to play. Now, again, Wilson has to prove he's durable. And um, and then, but it, when their group is together, they're, they're, they're darn impressive. And I do think, I'll, I'll kind of echo what Zach said, I think NDSU is the team that is best suited to match up with them because SDSU will always play their tails off. I think Coach Henderson really gets them to play 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 very hard together. They're probably an underrated defensive team because we talk about them from an offensive standpoint all the time. They do play their tails off defensively, and then Dave Richmond's group is always going to defend in the half court, and that's what you need when it comes to uh, postseason success. So. It's uh yeah, South Dakota State's an exceptional team. North Dakota State is is, is making some strides, and ORU and USD both are going to have a lot to say about this. Well, I joked on Twitter watching that that first game. Eric Henderson gets more exercise coaching a basketball game than I do playing in one. Um, and then that's mostly because I stand at the three point line and hope people pass me the ball. But uh, he, he's just I mean, not only does he get his team to play with energy, he is just constant energy. It's it's actually kind of fun to watch. His, his personality is like perfect for college you know like he's an intense guy but he's also a very personable guy you know he's not necessarily like a jerk about it and so it's it's a very interesting personality and it just fits so well within the college basketball I mean, it, there's no question why his players respond to him so well well and i have one other question for the two of you and zach you've seen probably more north dakota especially live than than either greg or i um with Ianot, Ty- Tyree Ianacho leads the league in steals, or at least did going into this weekend. What else have you seen from him on the defensive end? Because it seems like he's a growing defensive player as well. Is it just steals, or is he really doing a lot of those little things on defense as well? I think at this point he probably relies on his athleticism maybe a little too much. Um, okay. You know, which is to be expected from a freshman. Um, he's able to get away with a lot because he's really athletic and he's long and his timing is really good. He has really good hands. Um, he doesn't have to really dig in and play that hard really to be a pretty good defender. Um, you know, which which can be a blessing or a curse, you know, you don't want him developing bad habits. I don't think it's quite getting into that territory yet, but you know, he just has a really good feel for the game. You know, he's, his hands are really good and it, the game feels like it comes pretty easy to him. You know, it, the game doesn't look like it's moving too fast and both on offense and, and defense. And so that's what just has me so curious about what his future is going to look like, because physically I don't really know if there's anybody that matches up with him. Um, you know, in terms of point guards in the conference, I mean, so there's Max A. Smith, there's, probably A.J. Pulitzer White in terms of players that you may take over him. Um, 
you know, I don't know if you'd count Baylor Shireman or Alex Arians as, as South Dakota State's point guard, but that may be it at, at this point. Um, maybe that's different after next week. And that's but, the, that's even without potential, right? I mean, that's just as they yeah. are right now. Yeah, yeah that, that's just kind of looking at their production and, and what they're doing right now. That's not saying that he has four years left, yeah. No, I'll, I'll just add, I, I think Giannaccio, the one thing that I, I was impressed with him as a freshman is his ability to keep people in front of him. Sometimes he, he, that's, a, that's an underrated aspect of defending, uh, especially for perimeter defenders, is the ability to, to stay in front of people and, and make things difficult. And with his length and athleticism, um, that's one thing that I'm sure Paul Sater will continue to demand from him is, is that he uh, defends at a high level. You talked about him leading the league in steals heading into last weekend. So uh, I, I like that. And, and then I think that the, the coaching staff at UND has to be salivating for the off-season workouts to get him in the gym and just work on a consistency when it comes to a perimeter shooting stroke. You know, he doesn't have to be a 45% three-point shooter. If he's a 38%, 35 to 38% three-point shooter, he's going to force people to come out and, and not continue to go under ball screen actions, things like that. And then he becomes a more complete player. But his upside is is uh, extremely appealing right now, without question. So let's move on next to the Oral Roberts-Kansas City, I can't say series yet. One of the games is currently going on as we're talking right now. But the first game was yesterday, and a great finish, fantastic game to watch. Um, R.J. Glasper with a runner in the lane um, after Kansas City really kind of denied Max Asmus the ball, understandably thinking he was the one that Oral Roberts wanted the ball to get to get the ball to. Um, so Glasper hit the shot. Um McKissick missed a three at the buzzer that, that could have won the game. Uh, I did want to mention Glasper just because he's a, he's a grad transfer from the Division II level, and he scored over 1,500 points there. He's really starting to add that third scorer to the ORU uh, offense. And uh, some of the same with Kansas City. They've got McKissick and Alec, but just not much offensively after that. But, man, do they get after you on the defensive end. And it was a fascinating watch between the teams – the, the league's fastest-paced team and the league's slowest-paced, most defensive team. Um, any other takeaways from you guys in that first game? Well, you said it. You know, one team likes to play a game in the 90s. The other team likes to game the, play in the game in the 50s or 60s. And Kansas City won that battle. They won the tempo battle. I mean, obviously, the, the score was 58 to 60. So they won the tempo battle. They beat Oral Roberts up. Um you know, they really kind of, you know, drug Oral Roberts down in the briar patch, I guess, for lack of a better term. But, you know, they um, so I, I was very impressive that Kansas, Kansas City was able to dictate the tempo uh, for Oral Roberts, though. It is equally impressive to me that they're able to win a game in the 60s. Yeah. You know, that was definitely a question that I think I had was. You know what happens. You know they're they're kind of a little bit more of a finesse team. You know, and that's not necessarily a knock on them. It's just sort of the nature of the players that they have, and uh, what happens when they run up against this Kansas City team? Because I mean, yeah, I saw firsthand uh, just how physical they are. It's not just that they're good defensive. They are. I mean, they physically beat you up, and uh, and sometimes they send their their opponents to the free throw line too many times, um, but they're not going to let up. They they did not let up at all uh, when they had UND in the double bonus in both games. And, and that's just what they're doing here. Um, looks like Oral Roberts only shot 12 free throws. So that's good. But uh, no, I'm just really impressed uh, really both ways. The fact that Kansas City was able to get them slowed down and 
or Roberts was still able to win a game that's played that way. Yeah, I, I'll just, you know, add a few things. I think that's the, again, I've, I'm, uh, I'm a redundant echo chamber because I don't know much about a lot of things, but I, you know, Oral Roberts, they have to be able to play a low possession game when, when they get to the postseason because whoever wants to play slower is usually going to win that battle as long as they can take care of the ball. And so they, they've got to develop that ability to defend without fouling. O'Banner spent a good portion of the weekend in foul trouble. He's got two fouls in the first half uh, this evening, you know, with, with, with four minutes left to go, and Kansas City's up 10 on them right now. And uh, McKissick and Alec. Are, are the two you know leading offensive guys for Kansas City? Kansas City really hasn't found a consistent third option. Going back to what you talked about, Todd Glasper, he's the guy that I couldn't remember, or you know, a couple of podcasts ago. And I'm going, I think they're starting to develop that third option in addition to Ace Smith and O'Banner, which I think mm-hmm. they have to do. You know, just because teams are too talented in this league, uh, they can take one or two guys out of a game, and so you've got to have multiple options and. Oral Roberts is finding that, and Oral Roberts is still, um, I think, you know, one of the scariest offensive teams, and, and with that one-two punch of O'Banner and Asmus, is is still going to, you know, as dangerous as anybody. And their and their their league record at this point sh- shows it, especially if they can get out of this game. But they're, you know, like I say, they're they're down now, but they're as dangerous as anybody. So, you know, who can develop that half-court uh, defensive consistency? Oral Roberts still has to prove that. Kansas City certainly has proven they can do that. They just haven't shown that they can find a way to, to score enough at times. And uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. This would be a big win for Kansas City, a big statement win coming off, you know, to, to kind of um, finish up this weekend in Summit League play. If they can get this, that could be a big a big boost to them heading down the stretch. And that is interesting, though. I mean, our banner, two fouls again in the first half tonight. I feel like, I mean, is it just me or is he in foul trouble like every single game? It's it's at least the fourth straight game. He fouled out with about three minutes left or two minutes left yesterday. It's just such an odd situation. He's an athletic guy. It's not like he can't move his feet. You know, I don't think he's trying to really block everything. But for whatever reason, he always finds himself in foul trouble. That's a problem. Like, they have to mm-hmm. get that corrected so there's not these bad habits developing. I don't know exactly what's going on there. But, like, that has to stop if they want to – if they're serious about winning the conference tournament this year. Well, and I'll be the first to say, who am I to say what Paul Mills should do? Uh, but at the same time, O'Banner was on Josiah Alec a, a lot yesterday, which didn't seem to make sense to me, given his foul trouble history and just the fact that that's the guy they're going to get the ball to inside. Um, th- that was odd. Yeah, I, I don't know. If there's, I don't know if there's a whole lot of X's and O's that you want to do different with him. It's just, hey, you just have to be smart about it. I mean, Greg is a former coach. What would you tell him to stay out of foul trouble? Well, I, I mean, number one, you know, use the old Wisconsin adage. I mean, pl- keep your hands high. Don't try to block shots. Just try to contest shots and and play defense with your lower body. And and I I just I think there's a lot more. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but that was, I was the only thing I was smart enough to, to work with our guys on is listen to, uh, you know, I would rather contest every shot than block three or four a game. Just be there because you, you stay on the floor and, uh, and, and you don't put your, t- your team at a disadvantage by, by going to the bench with foul trouble. And I just think that's something that, that he has to learn how to do. And I think that's on, I think it is on coach Mills and his staff to say, listen, how do we, how do we educate him and work with him? 
to to be an effective defender because you know his uh, you, you never you know as an effective defender also will not lead the ground until after the offensive player leaves the ground and so you just have to maintain a certain level of discipline and an ability to move laterally and then play with your feet and just keep your and just wall up just keep your hands high and and you know, you're not trying to, to get your hand in there and knock the ball away. You have to resist that urge. And so I think a lot of it's discipline. I think O'Banner is a smart kid. I believe that, that they can – I think it's something they have to focus on right now. They've got to find a way to keep him on the floor because he's literally one of the best talents in the league. Well, and I want to add one just perfect 2021-type uh, story. Kansas City added a grad transfer last week in Arkel Lamar, who played 31 minutes in his first game after being added a few days ago, uh, had scored nine points and four rebounds. He came from UMBC and was part of that team that that beat Virginia as a 16 seed. Uh, but they they had lost Hitty Rosink to injury for the season, and it's just so perfect for this year that they added a player a couple days ago and he played 31 minutes a few days later um, because they needed front court depth. Nothing really well, got, to add there. Just a crazy story. He's but. got seven points tonight already, too. So obviously, oh, does he really? Be, he's going to be in yeah. a position for the ruse. Yeah, it, it was almost like a free agent addition, you know, with a in the middle of the season or a trade or something. It it had a very NBA feel to it. Um, the only other thing I'll say in this game, and then we'll move on to the next one. I do give ORU credit, Zach. You kind of mentioned this: winning a game they would historically lose. They were down 13 in the second half. And did did really buckle down and and now granted Kansas City is a team that can go through offensive droughts, but they came back, won the game. Uh, so uh, just like South Dakota, it it's, seems like a different team this year. It, it, it's fair to say Oral Roberts, at least for one game, showed something they hadn't shown uh, in, in previous years under Coach Mills. For sure, Oral Roberts needed a game like that. They'd have lost that game last year. Yep. Yep. So on to our last matchup, South Dakota, as we had already mentioned, remains undefeated in Summit League play, beating Western Illinois in, in both games at Western Illinois. Uh, so they just keep winning. And they're, to me, they look so much better on defense this year, which, which really helps. But I wanted to start out by talking about something that kind of became a story. So I wanted to start by mentioning how it went for me. I was watching the game and all of a sudden... Zach had uh, texted and saying he's uh, Stanley Amuda has only got four points. And I thought, well, he hasn't even played in the second half. So then I spent the entire second half trying to figure out what the issue was. And if he didn't clap during a timeout or something, I thought it was a hand injury. If he seemed to get up slowly, I thought it was a leg injury. And we go to find out that he had taken PM cold med- medicine before the game and was having a reaction to that. Do you guys have any crazy how a person missed game stories? from your time playing or coaching basketball? Oh man, I'd have to think about this a little bit. Um, I had a teammate once get pulled out of, so we were doing warmups and the cops came and pulled them out um, <laughs> of warmups because he was a native American and he was burning sage and like his, like homemate thought 
it was marijuana. And so the cops came and pulled him out of the He went up, showed him to the stage, and he was fine. He came back, and he came back, I think it was to like the first half or something like that. Luckily, it was like one of the first games of the year. So that was kind of a little goofy situation that we were confused about. It's not often you see a teammate get, getting hauled off to, uh, by the police in, during, in warm-ups. Um, luckily, it was nothing. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think about the Greg, any crazy stories on the same front? You know, nothing crazy, um, you know, medication related or anything along those lines. I, I just, just the normal freshman story where we, ha- where we were heading down to Augustana from Marshall to, to play in a team, uh, a four team event against Augustana and USD. And I'd recruited a young, a talented young freshman out of Columbus, Nebraska. His name was Elijah Starzel and, and, uh, had a tendency to be absent minded at times. And, and, uh, you know, we were waiting and waiting on the bus, and, and I finally said, we got to go, and um, took off, and he calls me, and he's in a panic, and he said, Coach, I couldn't find my shoes, <laughs> and so he, he ends up getting a ride and coming down there, and I, I talked to the rest of the team, and I said, guys, are we okay with this, and they all go, they all kind of looked at each other and said, well, that's Eli, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we, you know, I, I, I think I probably didn't play him in the first half, but, um, you know, it was one of those guys that I, I think maybe the, the, the best thing about it was our upperclassmen just kind of took it on themselves and, and they looked after him after that and kind of held him accountable and challenged him. And it was a great learning experience for him. And I will tell you this, he never forgot his shoes, you know, the, the rest <laughs> of his career. So that's about as close as I can come, but what a unique situation and, and, and credit to USD. When your all league guy really can't contribute or play, and they still found a way to, to go down and get the sweep. I mean, granted, that was the first game, I believe, but um, that's a big win for him to get at Western Illinois, an improved Western Illinois team, even though they have yet to prove it in league. I think everybody sees that, that Jeter's you know trying to push the right buttons. So I think it's uh, um, a statement to what uh, Coach Lee and his staff are, are, are developing uh, around Amude and Plitzwhite right now. I had a, a like probably when I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, like our, our best player forgot his shoes and we were up at up in Belcourt, North Dakota, playing a game. And <clears throat> so that's about four hours away from North Dakota. And, and he was kind of an absent minded guy, forgot his shoes. And uh, so what happened, you know, everybody else found out who, what size of shoes they wore. And, you know, <laughs> and luckily I was probably one or two players away from being at the end of the bench where I had to give my shoes up to the best player. And then he got a pair of shoes, that's for sure. And then we end up playing and, you know, away you go. But, but, uh, but anyway, um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, back to this game, I, I think you said it, Todd, you know, the development of South Dakota on the, on the defensive end. I mean, that's, that seems to me to be a, a Todd Lee, just hallmark of, of all his teams. I mean, his calling card is, is just the physicality and the toughness on the defensive end. I mean, they always just seem to be very physically and mentally tough uh, for as long as I've watched them play. And it took a little bit longer with this team, obviously being a, a newer group and, you know, their how they were impacted by COVID and quarantining and everything has been well documented. And uh, nobody, nobody used it as an excuse or anything like that. But I think it's a good explanation as to why their development's been on the timeline it has. Um, but, you know, you, and you don't want to get too carried away, obviously, uh, as they've only played the bottom of the conference here. But they're on track. They're on track, and that's all you can ask at this point. And, you know, their rotation has solidified a little bit. 
Um, and, and to Greg's point, you know, Western's getting better. Western's getting better, and UND and Western are next up. And that's going to be a very interesting game. Two teams really needing uh, a couple wins. So um, interesting, interesting weekend. But, uh, you know, anytime you can sweep on the road, I don't care who it's against. That's something to be proud of. So, you know, uh, big kudos to South Dakota for the way that they played and handled their business this weekend. Well, and one thing I want to say, and sorry, Greg, but one thing I did want to mention just with the, the growth of South Dakota, there's almost always a player to mention that we haven't mentioned much before. Where are there some programs where it's kind of the same people, same same storyline. Tassos Comateros scores 21 points in game two. Uh, just people seem to keep stepping up and filling roles as South Dakota develops as a team. I'm with you on that, Todd. And and I think that, uh, you know, Comateros' development is is impressive because – you know, USD was basically saying, all right, we're going to go with Brady Hyman early in the year. Well, Hyman is, mm-hmm. has all but disappeared. And Comateros has stepped up. And and when you look at Comateros, he's been willing to uh, shoot the three a little bit, uh, willing to go inside, kind of that, that versatility that you like to see in some of the bigs, especially in the Summit League. Mason Archambault has, has demonstrated his ability shooting 42% from behind the arc. Uh, that's kind of his role. Xavier Fuller, a guy that you'd referred to early on as a, as a guy that should be a contributor. And, you know, he's averaging about eight a game and and uh, 95 percent from the line and, and, and just doing what what you need him to do. And so they're finding those complementary players to the Plitzawaita Mude duo. And I think, you know, Chisholm decided to jump in the transfer portal. So he's done now. They've got a, a group of guys of basically, you know, seven, eight players, if you throw Zizic in there, the, the other big kid that's starting to play, you know, maybe 10, 12, 14 minutes a game. Uh, I think they're finding a consistency. And as both of you guys mentioned, they're understanding how important it is to defend, and, and they've done a pretty good job. You know, when it comes to Camateros, I, I have a lot of respect for the players that you can tell he listens to his coaches. You know, like if you're a post player – and you're playing with Stanley Amude, and you're playing with AJ Plitzewhite, and you're with playing a guy like like Xavier Fuller. Like, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you if you just listen to your coaches and you're on the right spot on the floor. That's really all that you have to do. Then make layups, and he does. And I'm not trying trying to take anything away from him. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that he does a great job of doing what he's supposed to do, and he plays hard and he's physically capable. And then look what happens: 21 points. You know, and uh, he he had a really nice game. And, you know, he goes from a walk-on, you know, a foreign kid being a walk-on. That's got to be an incredibly hard situation to now being in the starting lineup and becoming a really nice player. And so, you know, he, he's uh, just progressing very quickly. And, um, and that says a lot about uh, that South Dakota program and just how they develop their players. It's it, This isn't the first time this has happened. It's not a coincidence, I don't think. Well, and one thing on the Western Illinois front, I, I know I've brought this up before that it looks like a different team. And of course, now they're winless in conference. So it could be easy for fans of the Summit League to say, well, they don't seem that different. Western Illinois was down 37 points in the second half. And I it was still headed on, but I turned the sound off because it was like, what, you know, what do I need to hear? There was other games going on at the same time. And all of a sudden I looked up and they're down 12. 
So I said, well, I'm going to turn the sound back up and see what's going on. And they got it down to six and ended up losing. But players like Colton Sandage, Eric Talton, who haven't played a ton, they've played here and there, but not a ton, just let a charge back. And I, I will bet you anything, those two players, if not in the starting lineup, will get major minutes in the next series. It just, you, I was impressed that in the past, that 37 would have turned into 60 and it just would have been one of those things. And they went and defended and, and, and fought back. So it's hard to, I'm sure the players and the coaches aren't saying, oh, well, we'll take the moral victories, but they didn't give up. And that's, that's the feeling I get that this isn't the same Western Illinois team. It's going to take them time. They need to get in more talent, um, but they've got the right coaching staff behind them. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Like last year, it seemed like Western when they were playing, and obviously that, that was a completely different uh, group of players, different coach, things like that. The only thing that was the same between last year and this year was the jersey. But it was almost just kind of like, all right, when are we going to screw up and then lose this game? You know, like that's what it kind of felt like when they were playing. And, uh, you know, eventually they would lose by, you know, 10 points or so. And But, yeah, you're right, totally opposite this year. Same thing like, like what we said with Oral Roberts you know, there's key characteristics that make a team better from the year previous. And I think Oral Roberts and, and Western has that. And like I said, you know, this, this season's far from over. Like we talked about at the top with, with the top of the conference playing each other. Well, the bottom of the conference is actually going to be playing each other now too. Right. And so, I mean, plenty of opportunity here for Western. I mean, you know, who's to say that they don't sweep UND this weekend. I mean, we don't know that. And, and if they do, then things look a little different and um, you know, still plenty of basketball to be played. Yeah, I, I think it's an ongoing chemistry experiment for Rob Jeter. Is it, just, you know, when you look at, at uh, they've got, I don't know, 10, 11 guys in the roster that are averaging double-digit minutes per game in the games that they've played. And I just think he continues to search. Now, you've got some guys that are consistent, you know, with Pearson and Karius, who've done a, a decent job, Rod uh, Johnson, uh, you know, leads him in minutes played. Uh, he, he's got the the core that he knows he can lean on, but I think he continues to search for those complementary players and the, and the ones who can bring the consistency that he knows he can always count on. And it will be, it's going to be an interesting, as much as we've talked about the top of the league playing each other down the stretch, the bottom of the league. And, and, and there could be someone, you know, in that, in that group of five right now, um, I, I consider UND at the top of the group of five, but th- that goes on a, on a, 6-2 run over the last four weeks and all of a sudden right. they're in the conversation and they're coming into the tournament with a ton of confidence and uh, so it's it'll be uh, very interesting to watch play out I don't see any reason that Western Illinois can't be in that conversation because right now is it Western Denver and Omaha are all winless in the league is that right and then you've got right Kansas City with a win and, and UND with two and three. Uh, yep. three I'm sorry yeah so I, I think it's going to be I it's going to be very interesting on both ends of the spectrum to see how the end of the season plays out. All right. Well, with that, unless either of you have something to add, we'll wrap up for this week and look forward to next week is still the top playing the bottom. But then right after that, we've got a whole bunch of big time matchups coming up. So we'll look forward to that going forward. And thank you, gentlemen. Look forward to it guys. Have a great week.